Well, we're in what's called the farewell discourse of Jesus. Uh, They're the final words that Jesus shared with his disciples before his death. Can you imagine how important that would be? I mean, he's going to see them again after the resurrection. But this is what he, in fact, what's interesting is it doesn't really record for us all the things that he taught them after his resurrection. It shares with us what he told them before his death. What I imagine is that what he shared with them after his resurrection was probably unpacking more of what he told them before his death here. He's sharing the reason that he's going to his torturous death. And he's sharing with his core leaders what's going to happen because of his death and resurrection. He's telling, hey, this is, what's, this is why I'm doing this. This is what's going to happen whenever I die and rise again. I know you don't fully understand, but I'm just telling you now so then you'll see it later. He's laying out the, the DNA of what his new people, what his church is going to be like. And, and what he says here in our passage today to these simple, unlearned disciples who don't quite get it, what he shares with them is absolutely shocking. It's startling. It's astonishing. Remember, this is Jesus who's talking. He's the, the Son of God. He's the long-awaited Messiah and Savior. And his disciples have seen him do incredible incredible thing after incredible thing after incredible thing. In fact, John says, I don't think any library in the world would be able to contain if we record, if we recorded everything that Jesus did just in his life and ministry. He had told uh, Philip where, whenever he finally came to Jesus, he told him where he was whenever he first heard about him. He, he turned water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. He took a few loaves and a few fish and fed thousands of people with them two times. He healed the blind and the lame. He had healed, he healed lepers. He had raised the dead. In fact, it, had only, it hadn't been very long at all since he had raised Lazarus, his friend, who had been in the grave for four days. They'd seen him do all those things. And now, in his final words, part of his final words to them, after their last dinner together, he says this. Truly, truly, by the way, if you ever see that in Scripture, you know, I really need to pay attention to this. It's like Jesus lighting a neon sign saying, this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this, whoever, whoever, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. Now, those are some astonishing, astounding words. In fact, they're so astonishing and so astounding that whenever you read and listen to people and scholars and pastors and leaders who are, have studied this text and are trying to explain it, they actually spend most of the time, a lot of them, trying to describe what Jesus could not mean whenever he's saying this. Because it's pretty crazy to say for Jesus to look to us. 
these disciples. But then he says, whoever believes in me. So just if you believe in him, just put a pen in that and say he's talking about you. And for him to look at you and me and our weakness and our failings and our sin and our and our <laughs> can't get it togetherness just like these disciples and to look to them and say whoever believes in me are going to do the same works that I do that itself would just be what what do you mean how could that be true not only that he just kind of ups the ante a little bit and says not only that even greater works even greater works than I have done, whoever believes in me will do. And this morning, I just want to, those words kind of speak for themselves. And really what I just want to do this morning is simply underline what Jesus said and affirm to you that he meant exactly what he said. He meant exactly what he said. And I want to address two groups of people this morning. I want to address those who can relate to Philip here and who have seen and heard about Jesus. Maybe I see you here this morning. You've seen and heard about Jesus. You've been around the church. You've been around the block. You've, you know, listened to Billy Graham or you've read a pamphlet or you've looked online or you've been to church. Somebody has shared with you. You've heard the deal before, just like Philip here, but you're still looking for something else to believe in. I just want something else to believe in. It can't be just as simple as Jesus says it is. It can't mean that I have to bow my knee and confess this man, Jesus Christ, to be not just some general savior who died for sin, but to be my Lord and my King. To direct my life. And the question I want to ask you this morning as we're going to progress is, just like he says to Philip here, why won't you believe in him after all he's shown you? Why won't you believe in him after all he's shown you? And then I want to address a second group of people this morning, and that's to those of you who actually do believe in Jesus. Whenever I said the whoever believes in me part, you said, yeah, that, that he's, he's addressing me. I don't know if I really believe what he's saying, but he's absolutely addressing me. What I want to ask you this morning is, do you really believe these words of Jesus? Do you really believe that he has for you to do his works and even to do greater works? Or are you basing your faith on what What I'm asking is, are you basing your faith on what Jesus said here or on your past experience? Do you take these words that Jesus says as seriously as he meant them? That's what I'm asking this morning. You see, I know this. You and I, as believers, we long to see great things. We desire God to do great things. We want to see him do great things in us. And our heart beats for that. But for for most of us, the problem isn't that we desire too much. The problem is that we expect too little. We don't desire too much. We accept and expect too little. 
The great missionary William Carey said this, six words that can change your life. Expect great things and attempt great things. Expect great things of God and attempt great things for God. That's another way of saying what Jesus says here. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And not only that, he will do greater works because I go to my father. And I believe this with all my heart in a time of increasing darkness in the culture around us and increasing deadness in the church that we see around us. Jesus, by his spirit, is calling those who will freshly hear his words and respond in faith. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and in greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. This is the will of Jesus. This is the will of Jesus. Believe in me and then go do my works. That's the will of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. In his parting words to his disciples, believe in me and then go do my works. Now this is the first thing that we have to pay attention to. He's telling us, this is my will. This is the will of Jesus. These aren't just nice sounding words that would look nice on a graphic that somebody could post on Instagram or Facebook. This is Jesus expressing his will for you, whoever believes in me. He's saying that he's going to die and he's going to rise again and he's going to go to the Father so that something would happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to go to the Father so that, what? That we might believe in him and then we might follow him in doing his works and even greater works. He says, believe in me. Do you see how he's... He stresses belief or faith in this section. He says it in verse 10. He says it in verse 11. And he says it in verse 12. Do you not believe, he says to Philip, do you not believe? After I've been with you this whole time, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't you believe that I'm one with the Father is what he's saying? Don't you believe I'm the Son of God? I'm the living, breathing expression, the the picture of who God is in human form. That's what Jesus is. Then he says in verse 11, he says, believe me when I say. And then in verse 12, he says, whoever believes in me. Jesus is saying that his whole life, his His ministry, his teachings, his miracles, they've they've been showing two things. This is what he's teaching us, is that he's been showing us two things. Number one, that he and the Father are one. He's saying the works that I have done, whenever I turned the water into wine, when I raised the dead, whenever I spoke to the storm and it stopped, whenever I healed that leper and that leper and that leper, and when I raised that man from the dead, and whenever that man stood up and was able to dance and sing, whenever I put my finger upon the eyes and the man could suddenly see what I was showing you I am God the God of all creation has returned to his fallen creation and in I am God come back to his creation I and the father are one of them I did all those things they were great and beautiful things but I did them to show you the one who created you 
who the only one who can redeem you, the one your soul longs to live and worship of. I have returned to you to make it possible so that you can be one with me again. And I've been showing you also what the nature and character of God looks like. I'm the one who comes to those who are dirty and cleanses them. I'm the one who comes to those who are sick and heals them. I'm the one who comes to the one who is broken and makes them whole again. I'm the one who touches the one who is unclean and makes them clean. I'm the one who cares for the forgotten and the broken and the marginalized and the one who is outside. I come to not those who, who are well, but I come to those who are sick and need a physician. That's what God is. That's who I am. I am self-giving, self-loving. I've given all of myself to you. I've taken on flesh for you. That's the nature and character of God. I wouldn't leave you in your rebellion. Though you've rebelled against me over and over and over again. I sent my prophets to you and you killed them. Though I sent my word to you and you disregarded it. I come to you in the flesh to say, I am here. And even then you're going to nail me to the cross. And from the cross I'm going to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That's the nature and character of God. I've come to declare to you that the I and the Father are one. And this is what God looks like. I've come to redeem your brokenness. I haven't come to tell you to, hey, get it together. You still might have a chance with me. I've come to say you will never, ever get it together. But I have got you. That's who I am. And he showed that not just in his miracles in his life, but the thing that most clearly showed it is his willing death on the cross. And this is love. Not that we have loved him, but that he loved us. And this love is made manifest not that we have loved God, that God sent his son to be a propitiation, a payment for our sin. Can you look at such a man and not believe that he is God? Can you look at such love and not put your faith in him? Where else are you going to put your faith? What else are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in your morality? Are you going to trust in some other religious code? Are you going to trust that you're going to be good enough? Or do you trust in him that showed you such love? What else can you turn to? Perhaps you've been around Jesus, around church for for a while. Perhaps you've heard of his miracles. Maybe just now, maybe that's the first time you've heard of them, but probably not. You've heard of his miracles. You've heard of his loving death, led like a lamb to the slaughter. But do you see him right now, this morning, looking at you like he looked at Philip and said, have I been so long with you and yet you still do not know me? Believe in me. Do you know what it means to believe in him? It means to take, if you will, anywhere in your mind that you can think of, I'm really trusting in my 401k or I'm trusting in my 
in my bank account or I'm trusting in my intelligence or I'm trusting in my morality. I think I'm a good guy. I think I'm a good lady. I think I'm kind of have it together. I'm trusting in that I'm generally a good person. I'm, I'm trusting in maybe this, there is no God. Maybe there is no payment. Maybe there is no judgment. Maybe there is no taking all those other trusts, as it were, in your mind and saying, no, I'm putting them all in on Jesus. No trust in myself, no trust in any morality, no trust in any code. I'm putting it all on Jesus. I'm going to sink or swim according to how well he holds me. That's what it means to put your trust in him. Believe in me, he says. And inherent in that belief in him, as I already mentioned, it's saying, I believe that if Jesus is the son of God, and that means he is the one who created me and I owe my life to him. If he never came, if he never died on the cross, he never suffered, I owe my life and breath to him. But how much more do I owe myself and everything I am and every thought, all the, the love and intentions of my heart? How do I not owe even more to him because of how he is bought and paid for me with his own blood, redeemed me. And if that's true, then inherently you know that means I must bow to him as my king, as my Lord. That's what it means to believe in him. Why would you fight for continual independence whenever dependence upon Christ, surrender to him, opens you up to all of his love and all of his mercy. Believe in him. But then once you do believe in him, Jesus is saying, do his works. And those even greater works. If you're a Christian, then you're sitting there agreeing with everything I just said. Yes, I believe in him. Every person in this room must believe in him. And so I ask you, do you believe in the rest of Jesus' words here? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and even greater works than these will he do. Do you believe that? Do you hear Jesus calling you to that kind of life? Whoever believes in me. Is that a select few? Is it optional? Remember, this is not just your Savior. This is your Lord talking. Is it optional? Is that just, man, just for the these apostles he's talking to in the early church? Well, he specifically said, whoever believes in me. This is the life to which God is calling you. God always, when he calls us to himself, Always, 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 he immediately calls us to join in his mission, always. That's what's going on here. In a moment, we're going to talk about what, those, what kind of works he's talking about. But I want to talk about the purpose of these works. What, what purpose? Why would Jesus say that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and even greater works than I do will he do? What, what, what is the purpose? Why is he saying that? First of all, just like Jesus, whenever we do the works of Jesus and the greater works that he's called us to do, we'll get to what that is in a minute. You know what it does? It spreads the kingdom of God around us. It spreads his rule and reign around us. And it causes people to believe in him. 
Just like Jesus said, the works that I do, they should, you should believe in them because they have been pointing that I and the Father are one. Whenever we as believers do the works of Jesus and the greater works that he's talking about, you know what happens? When we're really doing those, people don't look at us and say, well, that's a really cool guy. That guy has some pretty cool tricks he does. You know what they do? Just like the early church, there's awe among his people. Because those who know Jesus and love him and those who are outside and don't yet know and love him, they all know that Jesus is in the midst of his people and he is working. And God is glorified and Jesus lifted up as the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And Jesus with these words is commissioning all those who believe in him to join him in his mission and to do so by doing his works and by doing greater works. Jesus is saying that his death and resurrection are going to usher in a new age. A new age with not just one Jesus, God, man walking around, but lots of people who are like Jesus, but not Jesus, pointing to the one who is. He's saying that his people are going to be different. Even the disciples who are in this room at this time, who have spent three years with him, even at this late stage, they still don't fully understand who he is and his mission. But he's saying they will and they will be different. And they were different because on the day of Pentecost, when a power and presence was unleashed within and among those believers, you know what they did? They suddenly did the works of Jesus and even greater works and God was glorified and the gospel and the kingdom spread. And what he's saying is that you. That you will be different when you believe in him and you will be called to join him in his mission of spreading the kingdom of God and causing people to believe in Jesus. That is his will for you. And he's saying that he will supply the same power and presence that empowered Jesus himself and empowered these simple disciples. If only, he later says, if only you will ask. And follow him. There's so much to be done. William Carey, who said, attempt, believe for great things and attempt great things. He said this, multitudes sit at ease. I'll be honest, that's most of us in this room. Multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of the fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. I don't say that to shame you, but I do hope it wakes us up a little bit. Don't you see the great need for the kingdom of God to be demonstrated to to the culture around us? Don't you see the great need of our our family and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers to see who Jesus really is and to believe in him. William Carey also said this, surely it is worthwhile to lay ourselves out with all our might in promoting the cause and kingdom of Christ. 
Do you hear the call this morning? Do you hear the call this morning to lay yourself out with all of your might for the kingdom of Christ? Or, if you're a believer, are the cares of this world choking out that call? What are the works of Jesus and the greater works? We can spend a lot of time on this, but we have to kind of move quickly about it. When Jesus talks about us doing his works, what is it he's talking about exactly? I mean, before we even get to greater works, what are are his works that we should be doing? Well, it's not left to guesswork. Peter laid it out in Acts chapter 10 whenever he spoke to Cornelius and his household. He said this in verse 36 through 38 of Acts 10. We'll start with 37. You yourself know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing, if you're keeping notes, you can write this down. What are the, what are the works of Jesus? Doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. That was the works of Jesus. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Back in verse 36, it says that Jesus had gone through preaching good news of peace. What are the works of Jesus? What are the works that he did? He preached or proclaimed the good news of peace the power and presence of God to the people, he did good and he healed those who were oppressed by the devil. He did good whenever he went to those who were on the margin and loved them. He did good whenever he went to those who were hurting and he healed them. D.A. Carson said this, Jesus' works may include more than miracles, but they never exclude them. You know what that means? That means that Jesus himself is calling you to live a supernatural life, empowered by his Holy Spirit to do supernatural ministry that proclaims his name and his power in such an unmistakable way that even those around us who do not believe have to at least confess that something is going on there. What could the greater works be? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, verse 38 of Acts chapter 10. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And listen to this. And we are his witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He's witnessing to what he had seen. Now verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify That he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those, all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. What are the greater works that Jesus did? It's getting to on this side of the cross and resurrection to say God sent Jesus as the judge of the living and the dead. And anyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness. And to all those who believe in his name, he will give you the free gift of his Holy Spirit to fill you and indwell you. That's the greater works. And seeing people believe and be rescued from darkness to light. To see people go from deadness to life. To see someone who was once a rebel against the throne of God, just like you and I were, to see them rescued and turn around and praise the only one who is worthy of the praise. Because they have seen the good news of the gospel and the Holy Spirit has filled them and indwelled them with his presence and his power. That's the greater works of Jesus. The greater works are through the greater power and presence of God among his people. Now you say, all right, uh, I'm kind of jiving with what you're saying. I don't know about the miracles thing. I don't know about, it doesn't seem to me like, I, I don't see how I can live a Jesus kind of life in that way. Or people in here, I think it just means like we should be kind to each other and loving. Hey, we covered that two weeks ago. The unmistakable, observable mark of God's people are our love for one another. That is always and forever the sign. Any other sign may ebb and flow. But that should be the rock bottom sign among God's people. But just to prove that I'm not just building a doctrine off some obscure passage in Acts. Most of you know Uh, The Great Commission from Matthew 28, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But look at how Mark, who probably got his information through Peter, look at how Mark describes the the Great Commission. Afterwards, this is Mark 16, 14 through 18. Just so you know, Randy's not making this up. Afterward, he, that's Jesus, appeared to the eleven, that's the apostles themselves, as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And then he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Whoever believes in me. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And what I'm asking is, are we seeing these works? I mean, all of them. Not just the ones who kind of get, could get your attention at the end there, like, 
demons and speaking in tongues and picking up serpents and drinking deadly poison and laying their hands on the sick. I'm also talking to even go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Seeing those turn from darkness to life. Deadness to life. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Are we seeing these works? And do we even care about them to the extent that Jesus cares about them? You know what I often hear from people? This is kind of what I hear. Well, of course God's working. We just can't see it. Well, we know God's working. We know that we don't always see it. We're human beings. We don't always understand what he's doing. But you know what I know Jesus is saying here is he's saying that the, the whole point is that it should be seen. There should be those coming into the church. There should, we should be seeing people going and risking what, they have, what has been known and comfortable to, to take the gospel to those who have not yet heard. Whether it's here locally in my, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, or it could be in Nepal or India. And those who say... I'm going to step out and do the works that Jesus has called me to do, his works. It should be seen. That's Jesus' whole point. The kingdom of God should be seen as breaking into the kingdom of darkness. It is not invisible. It is spiritual, but it is not invisible. The kingdom of God should be clearly being seen to be breaking into the kingdom of darkness. You know why? Because Jesus wins and the devil does not. That's why. This is our DNA. As believers, as the church, this is our DNA. But you know what happens? Worldliness and cares of this world come in and choke it out. They come in and destroy our faith. And we accept so little when so much is available. And who loses when we do? You know who loses? Everyone. The lost lose. Because Jesus runs along vastly ignorable to the vast numbers of people in Conway and Myrtle Beach and Horry County and the United States and the Western Hemisphere and the 1040 window and beyond. He runs along non-ignorable, he runs along ignorable by most of the people who are out there. They lose. We lose. We lose out of having, being used by the Lord to do his works and greater works. You know who else loses? Our children lose. The church, some are turning around and coming back in now, some millennials, but the church is losing hemorrhaging young people who say, I don't know if you guys really believe what you say you believe, and I don't know that I can see proof of what you believe. In your midst. Can we blame them when they get 18, 19, 22 years old and say, 
church is full of mean people who don't ever do anything and fight over the craziest, weirdest things, and I'm out. The name of Christ loses. That should be what moves the needle for us. The name of Christ loses. Are we going to be believers who are content with the name of Christ? Being ignored, overlooked, made fun of? How long can we stomach our Savior being seen as a byword and a joke? And we don't counter, by the way, with culture wars. We counter with a humble, loving community of people who are quietly doing the works of Jesus and greater works. My time is up. don't have time to lay this out, but how are these works to happen? He says, because I'm going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. You know what that means? It means that Jesus is saying, there's an ace card here. I'm sending you, you 11 week disciples. I'm sending you docs to church. I'm sending you my believers who are, man, kind of weak and poor. But here's your trump card. I'm going to be at the Father's right hand. And whenever you pray in my name and ask me, to fulfill what I've told you I want to fulfill, I'll do it. I'll do it. I will do it. Does he say, I will help you do it? That's part of it. But he, the picture he points is like, I will do it. If you ask me, I will do it. Later in the next verse, he's going to say, I'm going to put my spirit within you. He's saying, I'm going to give you everything that you need to do it. And it will be by my power and by my strength. All I'm asking you to do is just ask me. Just ask me. Why don't we ask him? Because I'm... We're too comfortable, we're too sleepy, we're too overwhelmed with the options of entertainment, we're too concerned about our career, we're too concerned about our education, we're too concerned about our reputation, we're too concerned about anything other than his name. But whenever we really, really, really get to the bottom, we say, I really care about his name more than anything, then all of a sudden we will ask him, and he made a big promise I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified. Don't we want the Father to be glorified? 
Don't you want the Father to be glorified in your life? Don't we desire to see the Father glorified in his church? Don't we desire to see God pour out his spirit upon us so that he would lift his name up and that those, your, your kids and your friends and your neighbors who you think are so far from God are impossible to come to him. He says, watch this. I will do whatever it takes to bring them in. Just ask me. I'll do it. Do you believe in Jesus? Then what is he calling you to do? Because it doesn't just stop just with asking him. It says, I'm going to ask him, and then I'm going to step out and do what he's called me to do. What great works does he have for you? Will we ask we ask him for great things? Will we attempt great things? I used up too much time, but uh, we'll talk about in the family meeting afterwards. One way that we can do it, just one way, is that this partnership has fallen into our lap with Grant and Megan and Hope Over Crisis, their ministry that they're starting, and this Bible training ministry in Kualpur, Nepal, where they're currently right now, though they don't have the funds to do it, they're training 11 families for gospel ministry in Nepal. In one of the, in one of the darkest places on earth. And it fell to us because those who had started it, they got too old and they said, we can't do it anymore. And nobody would take this ministry. Because you know what? Asking for money and for volunteers for Nepal doesn't excite a lot of people. But we get to be a part of the gospel going forward among churches and unreached people groups in Port Nepal and beyond. And, and here's where the greater thing, the great, the Jesus's works. I mean, he once had the money come out of the mouth of a fish and uh, Peter and John walked by the lame man to the, by the temple gate and he asked them for money and they said, silver and gold have I none. And that's kind of the situation that we're in. Like, but we are not a particularly wealthy church. We're not a very big church yet, as you look around and see, and uh, a pretty small number of the, the big picture things is a pretty big number for us. It takes 16,000 well, remaining, $16,000 to feed and house these 11 families for this school year, for them to be trained and then sent out. And for the ministry training center that is there in Kualpur and for the faithful ministers who are there ministering. $16,000 for a whole year. I know some of you guys, you spend that on shoes. Right. But it's sort of a silver and gold, have I not? We said, well, here's what we said. We said, hey, we're going to partner with you guys in this. Um, we have $2,800 we can send you. And we have no idea where the rest of it's going to come from. 
And uh, what we're going to do, see what happens, see what the Lord does. Great works, greater works. We're going to say, hey, we're going to take up during October a special offering for the ministry in Nepal. And we're going to call each other to come and give and sacrifice for, we we get nothing out of it on our side. Uh, Grant and Dale are going to be going in October to visit there and get some feet on the ground, but it doesn't even go to their travel. This only goes to supporting the local pastors that are there, the infrastructure that's there, and the students who are part of this Bible Training Institute. And uh, we're going to take an offering for the month of October. Uh, you can feel free to bring in uh, money, put it in the box in the back. There'll also be, if you give online, um, there'll be a, you'll see a Nepal mission uh, option on your online giving. That's just one way that we can do great things. What other things is he calling you to do? What other things will he do through us beyond what we can ask or think if we'll simply ask him? And follow him and obey him. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that you showed to us in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you don't just save us, but you call us to a different kind of life. And you say, hey, I will empower you and strengthen you and uh, give you what you need to do everything I've called you to do. If you will only seek me, ask me and follow where I tell you to go. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us individually and to collectively as a church, that you will show us what it is that you want us to do, that you will stir us to be faithful in asking you, and that whenever we hear you speak, we'll obey, and that the name of Christ will be lifted up, and the kingdom would go forward, and we would have great joy because we get to be a part of it. In the name of Christ, amen.